0: So Money Episode 1226 Ron Friedman author of the book Decoding Greatness
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi Each day get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds authors influencers and from Farnoosh herself Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I feel like this is an approach that makes success easier and faster by giving you a strategy that you can use to work backwards, identify someone's blueprint, and then figure out, okay, this is what I need to apply in order to get there faster.
0: Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host Farnoosh Chirabi. We're going to go behind the scenes to decode the success stories of people like Simone Biles, Chef David Chang, writers like Malcolm Gladwell, comedians and directors, and everyone in between. My guest today is Dr. Ron Friedman, and he is the author of a new book called Decoding Greatness, which reveals why everything we knew about success is actually wrong. For generations, Ron says, we've been taught there are two ways to succeed. It's either from talent or practice. In Decoding Greatness, Ron talks about how the best in the world reverse engineer their success. In our conversation, Ron and I discuss the common trait behind successful entrepreneurs, which is not just creativity or intelligence or drive. We talk about How finding hidden patterns inside the products you love is the fastest way to succeed in your field, and how to reverse engineer your favorite book, your favorite movie, TED Talk, and lots more. Ron is an award winning psychologist. He has served on the faculty of several prestigious colleges. His work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Guardian, as well as Harvard Business Review and Psychology Today. He's the founder of Ignite 80, a learning and development company that translates. research in neuroscience, human physiology, and behavioral economics. Stay tuned until the end of this episode. And Ron and I talk about what is the deal with us humans always pursuing success? We are obsessed with being successful. What is going on? He's got a good answer. Here's Ron Friedman. Ron Friedman, welcome to So Money. It's a pleasure to have you on the show and congratulations on your book.
1: Thanks so much. It's great to be here.
0: Your book is called Decoding Greatness, How the Best in the World Reverse Engineer Success. It's interesting. We were talking right before we were recording that you know, you and I um, have always known that reverse engineering exists. Like I feel like I've done it in my life. You know people who do it. You've done it yourself. But that perhaps we haven't given it as much credit as it deserves. It's an actual strategy that has led to some incredible success stories you've cover them all in your book from, you know, Agatha Christie to Andy Warhol, former president Barack Obama. Uh, This is, this is something we need to pay more close attention to, isn't it?
1: Without question. And you know the, the, the stories that we've been told about success are basically one of two. There's the story that greatness comes from talent. This is the idea that we all have certain inner strengths and that the key to finding your greatness is just finding a, a field that allows your talent to shine. The other story is that greatness comes from practice. This is the Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours, practice, 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 eventually you become great. But within creative fields, there's a different approach, and that approach is reverse engineering. And that just means finding great examples and then working backward to figure out how they were created. Now, in Silicon Valley, they know about reverse engineering because it's how we got the laptop and the iPhone and the mouse. But... What's less well-known is that reverse engineering is how Stephen King and Malcolm Gladwell learned to write, and how Claude Monet and Paul Cezanne became amazing artists, and even how Judd Apatow became a comedy legend. So working backwards from exceptional examples is how learning happens in creative Mm -hmm. fields, and the more we're aware of using some of these strategies, the faster we can accelerate our success.
0: That's interesting because yeah, reverse engineering it suggests a very technical strategy, and it has been applied to that literal technical technological advances that we've had. But you're saying it can actually be leveraged for creatives. How do you reverse engineer? Can you walk us through that? I know that it is about identifying patterns first, probably uh, identifying those tent poles or people or experiences that you want to try to learn from, but then identifying and spotting those patterns is also a skill.
1: Without question. And there in Dakota Greatness, I talk about all these different strategies and it ultimately comes down to your field. So among nonfiction writers, what people will often do is they will go right to the endnote section at the end of the book to uncover the sources that went into creating that book. Chefs will often order dishes to go and then take an intricate sauce and then spread it out across a white plate so they can identify the ingredients. Photographers will look at photos in a completely different way than most people. When I'm a novice, right? So when I look at a at a photograph, I look at the object, the person in the center but a trained photographer will look at something else. They'll look at the reflection in the person's eyes to identify where the light source was placed. They'll look at the length of the shadows that tell them the the time of day that the shot was taken. They'll look at the aperture, all these different things that are hidden in plain sight if you know what to look for. So you ask, how do I do this in my life? Well, the same strategy can apply to decoding a TED talk or to decoding a well-written memo or a presentation deck. And it starts by first collecting examples that you find impactful. So when we think about collecting, we think about physical objects. We think about artwork or wine or shoes, but that definition is far too narrow. And what you find when you look at people who perform at a very high level is that they started off as collectors. So David Bowie collected albums. Andy Warhol collected artwork. Julia Child collected cookbooks. And once you have those exceptional examples, you can start to take them apart to say, "What's different here? What's? How do I compare the ordinary against the extraordinary?" And that process of looking for deep key differences, and I talk about it in Decoding Greatness as spot the difference, right? When you yeah. when you were a kid, you had you played that game when you had two images side by side and you look for disparities. That's what you're looking to do here, and it's through that process of looking for key differences that you can't help but identify the ingredients that make a work successful.
0: I love that. I did this in my own career. You know, I I wanted to become a financial journalist. This was 20 plus years ago, where that path wasn't really defined. Yes, there was a CNBC channel, but I I I didn't really see myself there, but I knew that I love this territory. So what I literally did one summer, I looked at people who had you know, 20 years ahead of me accomplished greatness in various fields, whether it was just journalism or financial journalism or broadcast as well. And it just started to like understand what their path was, what resonated with me, what I felt like I could also do. But also, and I think they talk about this in your book, how to make it my own experience Mm -hmm. at the end of the process, because what you don't want to do, your book is not about how to be a copycat or how to reverse engineer what's already been reverse engineered for somebody else.
1: Yeah. So to your point, there's two reasons why simply copying someone won't get you to where they did. When one of them is the fact that they have certain abilities that you probably don't possess because everyone is a little bit different. And so it's not just about copying their formula because chances are you won't be as successful as they were. And to give you, to make that concrete, in Decoding Greatness, I reverse engineer Ken Robinson's TED Talk. He, it's the most popular TED Talk of all time. And what you find when you reverse engineer his talk is that he gives a grand total of one persuasive fact in over 20, in in 18 minutes, he gives one persuasive fact and he drops in 40 jokes. Now I'm, you know, now that I have his blueprint, I can go and apply that to my talk. But what if I'm not funny? What if I don't want to tell 40 jokes or my topic isn't just, is so somber that those jokes are not going to land. The key is to find uh, someone whose pattern works for you. Right. So that's the one step is that is keeping in mind that ch- someone else's formula may not be applicable to you. The other reason why copying doesn't work is because audience expectations shift. So when you reverse engineered all those financial writers, did it work? Probably not straight away. It was probably a combination of factors where you were able to find what are some things that this person's doing that might work for me and what are some things that this person's doing that might work for me and combining them together. And now you're actually creating something that's completely new. And just to give you a story of someone who did this successfully, it's Barack Obama. So when we think about Barack Obama, we think about, oh, he's an incredible speaker. He must have always been this way. And um, that's how he got to where he is. But Turns out that he got trounced his first uh, political race. He lost by a margin of over two to one. And the problem was he was a terrible speaker. And th- that sounds really striking, right? How could he be a terrible speaker? And it's because he was a law school professor. And as a law school professor, he was used to just telling people what to do and preaching to them and just telling them, this is, you know, this is this lecturing them, right? Voters don't like being lectured. And uh, too. and so they let him know at the ballot box. And so he thought about leaving politics until he noticed what it was that preachers are doing when delivering sermons. And so all of a sudden he was able to incorporate some of those techniques and he was telling stories, he was using repetition, he was modulating his tone, and he was transformed as a speaker. And what I love about that story is is that it teaches us that Barack Obama didn't find his talent. He didn't practice for 10,000 hours. He spotted something that was working in a different field, reverse engineered it, and then incorporated it into his own approach. And that's one of the strategies is when you're reverse engineering, don't just look in your own field. Look at other fields and figure out what are the ingredients that I could borrow.
0: That said, though, Ron, there is power in talent and practice, but maybe the trifecta is talent, practice, and reverse engineering. They're not mutually exclusive. You can be, you can do and be all those three things.
1: There's no question that talent and practice are going to help. And
0: then you'll be Serena Williams. I mean, <laughs> like,
1: sports, you know, I to, I think natural it's talent, like, practice, yeah.
0: you can't take that away from them. You know, like I think that, I don't think this is your message, but I don't want also listeners to misunderstand that, that practicing isn't going to help.
1: Absolutely. There's no question that talent, uh, if devoting, t- devoting 10,000 hours to your field is going to make you better. I'm not arguing that. Yes. What, I, what I want to push back on a little bit is this idea that if I don't have some talent or there's no way I can invest 10 years for now working on this thing that I need to give up. So I feel like this is an approach that makes success easier and faster by giving you a strategy that you can use to work backwards, identify mm-hmm. someone's blueprint, and then figure out, okay, this is what I need to apply in order to get there faster.
0: How do you identify the chronology of the reverse of the steps of the engineered steps? Because you may look at a case study and go, okay, I I see how they went from zero to great. I can sort of see some of these patterns, but you're not really sure what came first, like how did, you know, and so uh, do you have advice for how to identify your first couple of steps in the engineering process?
1: So the first thing is ignore ignore the chronology because I'm (laughs) much less concerned with, for example, how, I don't know, Malcolm Gladwell became a great writer than I am with figuring out what's his blueprint and how do I apply that? Okay. So it's more about how I can recreate the pattern rather than how he created the pattern originally. Does that make sense? Yes. So yes. the step the first step is the collecting. The second step is spotting the difference. And then in the rest of the coding greatness, I share with you some analytical strategies that you can use. So um I came from a polling background. So after I got my degree in social psychology, I went off and became a pollster. So I actually worked with the Obama campaign and Tons of congressional candidates to figure out how to get them elected. And what you do in polling is you identify outliers. So people who overrepresent in certain categories. So, for example, if a candidate is doing really well with women between the ages of 45 and 54, that becomes their target. You need to find more women who are 45 and 54. Here, we're applying that same strategy to find what is it that makes this creative work differently. So as I mentioned before with Ken Robinson, in his case, he's telling a lot of jokes. If I do that analysis with Susan Kane, what I might find is that she's got a lot of vulnerability in her stories. When I do it with Angela Duckworth, I find that she's using curiosity very often. So now I'm able to identify what's this person's outlier, and now I'm able to Utilize those insights to create a blueprint that models them, but also, again, as we mentioned, it's not enough to just copy. You also need to evolve, and there are formulas for evolving formulas.
0: And one of my favorite things to uh, read is like, I, I love stand-up comedy, and I've dabbled in it. And um, a lot of people will there, even in that category, right? It's a creative field. They'll say like, you either have it or you no, know, you don't. You're either funny or you're not. But when you actually watch a very successful, let's say, hour-long special on Netflix you will find patterns in how that person engineered that set, right? How they opened it is, was very strategic. And every, you know, like to your point earlier example, like every so many seconds, you know, trying to get a laugh and really carry people through um, the uh, the experience.
1: I'm so glad that you mentioned comedians because this book is filled with comedians. <laughs> so literally Aziz Ansari, Jerry Seinfeld, Amy Schumer – John Oliver, uh, and Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow's got a great story, so I don't know if you're familiar with his story, but how he got started is when he was 15 years old, he was obsessed with comedy. He would literally plan his entire week around who was going to be on which night. He uh, washed dishes at the local comedy club. And then here was how he achieved his major breakthrough, is he noticed at his high school radio station that the local, the the high school DJ was getting some surprisingly impressive bands to come in for interviews. So this is where the, the lightning bolt struck, and he was like, okay, I'm going to start my own uh, radio show, and I'm going to start interviewing comedians. And so he would contact their PR agents, and they had no idea that this was a 15 year old kid, or that the radio signal didn't even go, didn't even reach outside the school parking lot. But <laughs> this was how he was able to interview Jerry Seinfeld wow. and Jay Leno and all of these incredible comedians. And through that process, he was able to reverse engineer how they wrote their jokes, how they got their agents, and how they were great on stage. Yeah.
0: I mean, this is like, goes back to what you always are told, do your homework, do your research, do your homework, pay attention, listen more than you speak. Because in that, through that process, you'll be hand delivered almost the, the engineering blueprint.
1: Yeah. And he, that's literally what he said is I came away yeah. with a comedy Bible of how mm-hmm. to become a comedian. And so when you think about someone who's in a creative field, like, writing comedy and generating movies like the 40 year old virgin and bridesmaids it was through reverse engineering other comedians and so regardless of whatever it is that you're trying to create whether it's creating an amazing website writing an incredible uh presentation or even delivering a ted talk it starts with figuring out what makes successful works unique and then developing that and templatizing that turning Mm -hmm. it into a template that you can apply to make your work easier
0: I'll ask you in a minute about reverse engineering financial greatness. I like to think that this podcast is the vehicle to do it. A lot of people say they listen to this show (laughs) and after like a year or even two weeks, they feel like they have a blueprint for themselves after hearing so many great guests and uh, other people's questions that I answer on the show about money. What about reverse engineering a path for yourself where you may be the first to try to achieve that you know Barack Obama, for example, first mm-hmm. African American president. Um, certainly, he has many presidents to learn from, but he himself is a very unique case. And uh, with that comes adversity. That there racism. All of that shows up along the way. So, to the extent that yes, you can reverse engineer something, there's got, you got to prepare for bumps in the road that may be exclusive to you in some ways because you're either the first, you're a trailblazer you're, you look different, you sound different, uh, or you're trying to do something that hasn't quite been done before. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know everything's been done, but you know, sometimes you do feel like you have that very nuanced new idea or concept.
1: Right. And this is where I think it's valuable to consider that reverse engineering doesn't just apply to your field. It's looking at other fields too, and then incorporating some of their strategies. So some a, a good example of this is we talked about comedians. And what is it that we can learn from comedians about how they uh, accelerate their success? Well, in the case of Aziz Ansari, for example, he's not just going out there with a Netflix special. He's using test audiences all the time when he goes to the comedy seller and places like that, that are you know 100 people at most he's testing out jokes and he's getting feedback and i talk about this approach in the book which is you can use test markets in any field literally any field how cheap is it to go on facebook right now and get 100 people to give you feedback on whatever your idea is and so it's not going out there and making the biggest possible splash it's about getting gathering feedback from your target audience quickly so that you can iterate that's a strategy that comes from comedy, but it's also one that politicians use when they're going out to diners and testing out phrases. And businesses do this all the time online. And right now, they're, um, you know, all those all those brands you've never heard of on Amazon, a lot of them are established brands working under a pseudonym. So there are all of these strategies that we can apply by reverse engineering people outside our field. But the key is not just to observe passively and say, huh, that's great. I wish I had thought of that. It's what can I learn from this and how do I apply it to my field?
0: What about financial greatness, Ron? Everybody on this show wants to, you know, just one up themselves when it comes to money. I wanna, you know, make more, save more, spend less, get out of debt. And and to that extent, I always say it's not rocket science managing your money well. So the talent part out the window. Practice maybe helps if you had a little bit of a, a relation a good relationship with money growing up and you know, you had a bit of that financial fluency, but that doesn't exclude everybody else from being successful. What do you think? What's your opinion on things like financial greatness? And and, and can you reverse engineer that?
1: So my book has two parts. The first part is all about how are people reverse engineering in all these different fields, how you can do it and how you evolve your formula. The second half of the book is about shrinking something I call the vision ability gap. So just because you know what you're trying to execute doesn't mean you're going to be good at it. And so the second half of the book is all about these psychological principles that you could apply to accelerate your skill building quickly. And it all starts with this chapter called the scoreboard principle. And the the scoreboard principle is simple. All it says is that measurement begets improvement. Anything you want to get good at, the first step is to craft is to craft your own scoreboard so that you can track your personal metrics. So we know from the research, if you want to improve your water consumption, measure your water intake. You want to lose weight, measure your calorie intake you want to increase your focus, measure the number of uninterrupted minutes you have at work every day. Just having that scoreboard will motivate you to improve. And it's because when you see your scores improve, that provides you with an emotional jolt that elevates your, your uh, motivation. But beyond that, there's also, it like highlights all of the wasted energy that doesn't contribute to your score. So for entrepreneurs, one of the things they notice is that they start to hate meetings as soon as they leave the corporate world. And it's because they realize it doesn't contribute to their bottom line. But in the in in, in uh, most organizations, have, setting a meeting is a way of avoiding having to make a decision. And so there's no uh, there's no obvious cost to having a meeting. So once you identify what your scoreboard is, everything becomes clearer because now you know what you're optimizing for. When it comes to financial advice, I think so many of us, it's like a moment to moment thing what we're optimizing for. One day, we're optimizing for long-term wealth. Another day, we're optimizing for having fun with our friends. Another day, we're optimizing for showing off, right? And we're so swayed by social influences, and we don't realize it. And that swaying causes so much dissatisfaction, because when you're optimizing for long-term wealth, then you can't post what you just purchased on Instagram, and now you feel like you're a failure. But if you're doing that and you don't have any money in the bank, now you feel like a failure. So you're constantly feeling like a failure because you don't know what you're optimizing for. Mm -hmm. So the key is to set some time, ideally away from work, where you can really reflect on what it is that you're trying to achieve, and then work backward to create those metrics for yourself so that you know what points you're trying to score in the first place.
0: As I'm hearing you, it sounds like a lot of this is also knowing yourself, knowing what your tendencies are, what your weaknesses are, and your strengths. And some of that, to your point, may require stepping away and and just having a moment of reflection. If the last 18 months were nothing, they were a... I think a lot of us are coming out of this pandemic, hopefully knowing ourselves better than we did uh, in February of 2020.
1: Yes. Spending yes, a indeed. lot of
0: time with ourselves in solitude. Right.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so it's 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 a, a meditation on what it is that you're trying to achieve. But I'll give you one other tool. So we talked about the scoreboard principle. And I think there's one other one that I want to share with you and your listeners, because I think it's so Please. valuable. And it's the five-year journal. And you could find these on Amazon. If you haven't heard of this before, I think you're going to love it. So the five-year journal basically is just three lines a day. Um, there are five slots for every day of the year. And if you, what you do is you have to enter for the, fir- for the first slot what it is you did on that day or what you learned or something you want to remember. You do this for 365 days, just a few lines every day. And one year from now, you're going to enter what you did that day, but also you'll be able to see what you did on this day last year. And so it's an instant reflection, and it forces you, A, to reflect on what you learned today, but also it's a reminder of what you learned in the past. And so you're constantly strengthening your memory you're identifying wisdom that you'd forgotten you're noticing all of the obstacles you've overcome so you're building your confidence and i use it every day it has transformed my life and it's a way of skill building because you're automating something called reflective practice so we've all heard of deliberate practice that's the the idea that pop that Malcolm Gladwell popularized in outliers it's about Practicing something that's just beyond your current level of ability, reflective practice is reviewing past performance to identify new insights. And so, by using reflective uh, practice, you're elevating your wisdom, but you're also elevating your performance.
0: That book again you said is on Amazon.
1: Five year journal, yeah. There's five plenty. year journal. Like they're all there's a whole bunch of them.
0: What I like about this is that. It is inherent to us. It's not something that we have to, we don't have to buy a course to learn this. We don't have to, you know, go to college or, you know, it's like, would you argue that you have already what it takes to be able to reverse engineer what you want to do?
1: Do you have what it takes? I think you need a system for knowing Mm -hmm. what to ask yourself. And sometimes it's not just a matter of the desire, but it's just just having a roadmap for this is how I do it. And so that's what I'm trying to give people is to say, look, don't just enjoy that book or enjoy that movie or, or or appreciate that photograph on Instagram is take a step back, apply some of these questions, and you'll figure out the blueprint through that process.
0: Ron, as a social scientist, I have to ask you, why are we as a culture so obsessed with this idea of success and greatness? So many books, you've written some of them. This one is also probably in addition to that library, right? There's that person listening right now who wants to get to the next level. Um, I guess uh, you can call it many things, ambition, a drive for success. Uh, what That appetite, where does that come from and, and what what do you make of it? Why is it, is it just specific to our culture or, you know, is that oh, just man. human
1: nature? <laughs> How many hours do you have? This, right? is a, this, is a, this is a good conversation. I'll give you the the, um, the brief answer. So, clearly a lot of it is cultural if you even within the us east coast versus west coast a lot of it is cultural That said, we all have a basic human psychological need for competence, so feeling like we're good at what we do. If we don't feel like we're good at what we do, we're going to be miserable. We're not going to be engaged at work. We're not going to achieve at the levels that are satisfying to us. But competence isn't just being good at your work, but it's also having the ability to grow your abilities on a regular basis. And if you're not constantly growing and mastering new skills, you're languishing. You're just not the person you can be. You're not achieving your potential. So... I don't apologize for saying to people there's an easier path to greatness, because I feel like if to the extent that I can help you um, fulfill your basic human psychological need for competence, you're going to be a happier person for it.
0: Well, thank you. And my friend's actually writing a book called Let It Be Easy. That's Susie Moore's book coming out, I think, next year. I think you're right, because that we have been, maybe it's a myth that we have to, anything good has to come at a cost, and that is usually our own personal sacrifices and sacrificing our time and our money and our energy. And I think that's a dangerous thing to continue to, to tell people.
1: hundred percent. And it, it, there's, this is an easier way of finding out if something's for you, right? Like save the 10,000 hours for something else. Just right. Yeah. See, here's a, here's a, a blueprint that you can use to get good at what you want to get good at quickly and also discover if something really holds your interest. And if it doesn't, you can move on to the next thing.
0: Like I said, I've been doing this for 41 years, didn't quite know it, but now I feel validated and seen. Ron Friedman, thank you so much. Your book is called Decoding Greatness, How the Best in the World Reverse Engineer Success, available June 15th. Thanks a lot.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much to Ron Friedman. If you'd like to learn more about his book, Decoding Greatness, you can visit his website, ignite80.com. See you back here on Friday for a fresh episode of Ask Farnoosh. We're going to select two reviewers of the week on iTunes to get a free 15 minute money session with me. Don't miss. I hope your day is so money.